what a week it was again. Literally, there are no dull moments on Twitter these days. I guess you could say that. You're looking for a quote from me, you're not going to get it this time. Promise. If you really want something, you can come talk to my representation. His name is Jonathan Stranton. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Joking. Anyways, happy Black Friday. I hope you didn't punch someone in the department store this morning. No, I'm kidding. It, does that even exist anymore? People fighting over um, TVs and uh, PS5s and all that stuff. I thought everyone was switching over to COVID-free online shopping. If anything, I hope you got a good deal. And by the way, we are running a special promotion. Special. And when I mean special, I mean freaking awesome. Go to bunnyjamesboxes.com. You're going to enter the code BADSIGNAL15. Now, let me tell you what you're going to get. Who doesn't love snacks? Everyone loves snacks. I was eating snacks all day. <laughs> I could have used that over the massive amounts of, of cheese and prosciutto that I was eating before my Thanksgiving dinner. Well, Go to bunnyjamesboxes.com. Listen, this is your gifting solution to the holiday season. Find a customized gift box with a bunch of snacks. These are the snacks that you walk into a Whole Foods and you're like, damn, I don't, dude, I'm not spending five bucks for a bar. Well, it's all in package in one spot and you get it for a reasonable price. I mean, their boxes range from $25 all the way up to the 75. If you want to go extra splash, but I'm telling you, use the code BADSIGNAL15. You're going to get an amazing, healthy, delicious product. No more gross chocolates. This is for everyone in your family with a specialty diet, keto, nut-free, gluten-free, all that stuff. Again, they provide free shipping with the code BADSIGNAL15. Go to buddyjamesboxes.com. See what I'm talking about. Check it out and use our code. So anyways, back to the show. How is everyone's Thanksgiving? I wish John could check in here real quick, but- hey. Uh, Oh, hey. Hey, what's up? How was your Thanksgiving? <laughs> it was fantastic. Um, family, nephews. We we just hit the 10-person limit, I guess, that you're supposed oh, yeah. to have. Did you have, a, did you have a turkey that exceeded the 10-person oh, limit? Oh, that yeah. was one of the best memes that, I've saw, that I saw all day was like, <laughs> it was like the FBI banging down someone's door. I know that you bought a turkey that exceeded the 10-person <laughs> limit. Yeah, um, no, we got ours. We got ours from back channels and everything. We did it the right way. Awesome. Yeah. Ours was super low key. Um, both of my brothers, they've got little kids and they decided to last second do their own thing, which I'm totally fine with. I mean, listen, better safe than sorry, but you know, we had some beef tenderloin, which was different. I mean, it was like, okay. <laughs> I saw I one dude, I saw one dude had a uh, chili and he's like, fuck your turkey. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, all right, whatever, man. Like mix it up. As long as you're having fun, that's all that matters. Right. As long as you're not eating canned uh, cranberry sauce on, oh, on Thanksgiving. There's some certain faux pas. And I mean, I think a lot of faux pas can just be thrown under the, under the bridge because this Thanksgiving is unlike any other Thanksgiving. Um, and yeah, I, I ate some, some beef on Thanksgiving, uh, ate some beef in a lot of other ways. Um, <laughs> into a little bit of a pickle on the internet. But I mean, yeah, the mud, the mud is thick around. Oh, the mud is thicker the than mud, water. The mud, the mud. Lines in the sand have been drawn. Loyalties. Ooh, it's gonna be a scary week. Do you think I actually give a fuck? We, we were we like, were talking about it. We were talking about it, and I was like, "Listen, we're we're talking about Visionless Dave's loyalties, and and we have an interview with Antoine Walker tomorrow." Oh my <laughs> what god! Do do? 
I literally, I, and I was laying on my floor and I was like so deep in my feelings last night. And really, this just all comes down to, uh, this is a bunch of nonsense, guys. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's fun. Oh, as long people, as you're smiling and having fun. No, you know what? I feel so much better uh, just about my life and everything around it. Appreciate the free press, everyone. Stay safe. The internet is a scary, scary place. But listen, one guy who does not shy away from beef is our guest on the show. And yeah, as John was saying, we have Antoine Walker, who was supposed to come on today, but... He's trying to promote a new book that he's coming out about how he lost a hundred million dollar fortune. Um, the trials and tribulations. I don't know why he wasn't on Billy Corbin's movie broke. We should get Billy Corbin to come on too. Cause he's created a bunch of crazy sports documentaries. Um, but yeah, we'll add him to the list, but Michael Smith, he's been a longtime mentor of mine. Uh, he was a longtime ESPN commentator. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that rose to fame very fast. He's got some stories in here. He was 22 covering the Patriots' first Super Bowl in 2001. And there's a point in the interview, and, I mean, you can see if you check out our YouTube page, but he was talking about, I said, what did you take for granted? And he just runs off this list that, I mean, my jaw was on the floor. Because remember, 20 years ago, there was no world of social media. There was nothing. So I used to, I used to hate Michael Smith and, like, out of just blind loyalty, which we're seeing a lot of these days, but uh, out of blind loyalty, I just didn't like Michael Smith. And then this interview made me fucking love Michael Smith, man. I love Michael Smith. Now. What white horsing, blind loyalty? I mean, <laughs> year that we're all going through collective fucking therapy. But yeah, Michael Smith. Michael Smith was one of the first people when I graduated college to uh, like lend out a hand back when Twitter was in its infancy phase, mm -hmm. and um. He really was one of those people that just, I, yeah, you know, he listened and he persisted and um, we kind of get to talking about that right now. I mean, he was on his and hers for like six years on ESPN with Jamel Hill. He did uh sports center six SE six. That was at noon um, that got dropped. And, you know, I mean, in a very controversial way, he left ESPN and now, He's now the EVP and chief content officer of a new production company he started. I mean, listen, everyone does this now. They want to start their own thing, new content, new property, new ideas, new film projects. I mean, we talk about the trials and tribulations of becoming an entrepreneur and a creator. I mean, I, a lot of people don't know this, but um, after I left NFL Network, I was deep into making movies. I created a short film and a feature about type 1 diabetes in the NFL with Damon Dash. About two years ago, I moved out to L.A. to kind of pursue a documentary. And, I mean, it's not easy. So, you know, we talk about a lot of that. We talk about his times at ESPN and, you know, just um, just kind of the beef that he's dealt with and how he's superseded all of that and just maintained and stayed successful and now, basically, you know, he's doing and working on these stories behind the scenes of these athletes and trying to tell their story property properly and sell them to production companies. And he has a uh, a podcast with one of his mentors is Michael Holly, longtime sports writer in Boston. Um, it's called Brother from Another Mother. It's on Peacock, which is the free NBC streaming service. So, yeah, I mean, listen, you got to still stay relevant. And Michael Smith has plenty to say. So. I want you to sit back, enjoy this interview, listen, stress-free Thanksgiving week. Enjoy your picks on Sunday. Not going to offer you any advice on that. Um, we just have to see what I had to say on Monday and Tuesday because I'm, I'm keeping these close to my chest, man. John, do you fucking blame me? 
No, no, I, I just, hot picks. dude. I'm not your. These I'm are fucking hot picks. These yeah, are hot these, picks. these are real hot picks, man. <laughs> oh, take everything with a grain of salt that I say, you know, because I know everything about gambling. <laughs> we'll ask our guest Antoine Walker about that on Monday. So, Michael Smith, ladies and gentlemen, enjoy it. Brother from another mother. My original brother from another mother. We used to call that BFAM in college. So it was just the acronym. Michael Smith of ESPN fame. I've known you of Boston Globe fame. I mean, one of the young prodigies that's risen to the top. Now he's old and he's got his own business. And you got a new podcast with Michael Holly on Peacock TV, which is an NBC affiliate. What's up, Mike? How you doing? Nothing much. Yeah, that old part, you ain't lying. Like, I sneezed really hard the other day, and I think I pulled my lap. Like, all of this has been bothering me for, like, three days. A really hard sneeze. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, been, it's been a minute, but uh, it's like, you know, like, nothing's changed. That's, that's when you're real family. It's like, no matter how long it's been as you talk to somebody, uh, nothing's changed. And honestly, that was the inspiration with me and Michael Holly. You know, I mean, we met you. I was probably, you know, in the same, running in the same circles back in the day. And, you know, when the time came. 10 years ago, 10 years ago literally. Yeah, 20, more like 20. Yeah, like, yeah, literally when I graduated college in 2009, so a little 11 I, years. 10, okay, yeah, Michael and I go back 20, that's right. Yeah, yeah, see, first, you were, yeah, you were one of the first people, I got to just say for the listeners out there, and a lot of people ask me, how do you get in this business? How do you climb up? Um, it's all about a Rolodex. It's all about networking. And you knew me, OG, <laughs> when I had my original Twitter page, Fallon87, and we just linked. And you yeah. were so gracious and so kind to really give advice to me. And I I got to say that it, because of people like you and Dan Shaughnessy, it really sticks out in my mind and it's made me want to give back to the next generation and just, and do the same thing. So, you know, thank you for that. First and foremost. Well, thank you for that. And, and honestly, that's, that's really what it's all about for me. I mean, you know, uh, that that's kind of the, the mark I'd love to leave if possible as in terms of a career, like, I'm, you know, how, how people would define me or, you know, uh, I, don't, I don't get caught up in trophies mainly because I don't have any, but I mean, the main thing for me is like just the type of person or the type of mentor when applicable uh, or the type of uh, influence I was is, is the thing that's most important to me because, you know, I, you know, take, bringing it full circle, our relationship is, is, you know, that's, that's how it was when I met Michael Holly. I met him and he was a mentor. We became brothers and, and, and here we are. And, and, and that's what our, we hope the show feels like. That's what Brother from another feels like on, on Peacock is, is two guys that are just hanging out. And no matter how long it's been since we talked, it still feels like it was just yesterday. You know, those friendships you have, like you don't have to talk to them every day, but when you talk, you pick up right where you left off. So that's kind yeah. of how we like to keep it. That's like my camp sorority. So my camp sisters, my sorority sisters, everything. You have that bond. It's forever. Speaking yeah. of Michael Holly, brilliant minds to yeah. say the least. I've written multiple books really the Patriots inside mind into uh, everything. I look up to him just for how uh, loquacious and verbose. I hope that's not, those two words are not the same, but yeah, really a brilliant mind. What's in a brilliant mind? What makes Michael Holly who he is? Ooh, oh, that's, that's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, well-read, he's a student. Yeah. And he 
stops being a student. Mm-hmm. He's a student of a lot of things. Uh, he's got he's got a hunger and a thirst for for knowledge. Um, and so whether it's um, you know politics, history, music, art, film, literature, um, and journalism, I think he's always tried to be the best student he could be and pick up bits and pieces along the way. Uh, and 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 apply it to his craft, and so he's he's constantly looking to get better. Uh, and I think that's I think that's that's the reason for his longevity and his versatility. Yeah, uh, he's checked pretty much every box you can for a career uh, as a storyteller and as a journalist. And I think that's due to he's, uh, the fact that he's never uh, satisfied or complacent. Um, he's, he's just always trying to get better with every show, with every column, with every book. I think if you asked him, he'd tell you he's still trying to get better as a writer. It's yeah. like being a, a six-time New York Times bestseller. So it's energizing to work with somebody like that because, you know, I know he's going to bring it every day. So I, I, I would tell you what you're saying. What, what do you soak in from his knowledge? I mean, I know that every time you sit on set with him or you sit on a Zoom or uh, however we do the shows these days. Yeah, right. What's the one thing I would say just um, based on those topic subjects that you had just mentioned, what's the biggest thing that you pull from him and that you've acquired into your own, um, you know, kind of library of knowledge or library of just techniques on being a better journalist? Uh, I would just say his range. I would say his range. And, and, and even going back to when I first broke into the business uh, I, I picked this up from him, whether I was able to apply it effectively is another conversation. But, mm-hmm. you know, he did not he, he is not somebody that you could put into a box and mm-hmm. say he's an authority or he's a or, or, or he has a passion for for this or that. Mm-hmm. Or he has a passion for a lot of things. Yeah. And so because of that, he's is he can pivot or even incorporate into his writing or commentary uh references and uh you know. social references i feel like that just really makes you a lot smarter and that's something that's very big that i i agree you know just yeah, i agree mc like like you know both of us have this affinity and, and affection uh for uh, black thought from the roots and if you listen to black Tariq is one of my closest one of my closest buddies if you listen to Black Thought's lyrics, so like, you're like, wait a second, where did that come from? Where did he pull that from? It's because he's constantly consuming. You yeah. know, like, I think I think Michael's the same way. Tariq is a brilliant, brilliant mind. Yeah. You know, you cannot ever get enough of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've I've tried to reach out to them. I mean, I've been to a million different shows. I even talked about this Fallon, Fallon, the whole situation, but. Yeah. It sucks, you know, there's, they're, you know, pretty closed off access and COVID. How have you been dealing with COVID and what's kind of the biggest casualty that you've dealt with? Because I think for me, it was like, hey, I want to start this cool new show and do interviews on sets. And they were literally, uh, you know, Kamal and James Poyser are the biggest, biggest sports fans, biggest Eagles fans ever. So I'm like, all right, you guys, first off, I've done shows with them, done podcasts with them before. And it's like, yeah, probably not until the March of next year. But yeah, what's been the biggest, toughest adjustment for you? You know, honestly, it hasn't been a m- much of an adjustment for me because what's, what's interesting is I was working from home from March of 2018 
uh, and I and for a good stretch now, I put working in quotes from yeah. March 2018 to up until the pandemic. So yeah. we had a year's worth of practice, uh, or two years, excuse me. I had two years worth of practice um, leading up to um, the pandemic. So everybody else just kind of joined me in working yeah. career. The, big, the hardest part, though, honestly, is not even for me, it's for my, my family and specifically my kids, because, you know, like a lot of young people, you know, they had to make an adjustment. And while kids are resilient, you know, they don't get their youth back. So even just today, you know, I mean, my son wanted to stay by the neighbor's house. We just got comfortable allowing him to kind of socialize a little bit more with people who we believe are practicing good socially distant. Yeah. And he wanted to stay longer. My wife was like, go pick up your son. I'm like, let him stay. You know, like he's not on a travel basketball team right now. He's not hanging out with his friends like he would. Yeah. Really. Like school is weird. Everything's weird if you're a kid right now, you know. So yeah. old, old farts who don't mind sitting at home is no big deal. But people like, you know, for my son or my daughter or, or any of them, they just giving up those activities, dance, soccer, basketball. That's yeah. been the part is watching them have to give up a lot of things that are important to them. <laughs> Well, COVID has affected a lot of people's jobs, a lot of people's livelihoods, and more specifically, um, the place where you used to work at. You know, what place that you walked away, ESPN, has continually chopped down and taken jobs away from really good, hardworking, long-term people. How do you feel? You know, obviously, it's not their fault. It's a Disney thing, but... Just the way, what are your thoughts on the way that ESPN has completely mismanaged careers? Uh, well. At least, I mean, just in the, in the times that they've been let go. You know, I'm, I'm not generalizing anyone else's career, you know, at ESPN, but just the, by the way that they've just, yeah, mismanaged their, their talent capacity, at least. You mean specifically as it relates to the layoffs, or do you mean? Yeah, to, as, to, as, to the layoffs, there's another round of layoffs. Like, for example, I saw today that Dan Levitard, they fired his number one producer. Which and, one? Um, Chris Cody. No way. Chris Cody, yeah. So they laid him off. And then so then Dan came out. He wasn't on air for a long for a while. And he just came out and said, they they tried to let go of my producer. I'm paying his salary myself and giving him a raise. And just has completely gone against everything what the company is standing for. And listen, you know, I mean, I, I can't say anything truly about ESPN. I had a gig with them in the summer and I'm, you know, I'm not criticizing them specifically, but just based on your own experience or maybe down down that road of like, you know. Well, I mean, I could could just kind of, you know, hone in on one thing. I mean, as far as the layoffs go, it's not the first time. I mean, you know, I was there in 2017 when, uh, when, when the layoffs, were, were massive then and a lot of high profile talent were let go. And I remember that being a, a, a shot of reality because for the longest time ESPN printed money. And we, we thought that we, we lived in this bubble and you, you couldn't tell us that the, the, the industry's overall economic reckoning was ever gonna touch ESPN. Yeah. That was, and they thought that was a one-off. I'll be honest with you, Courtney, like, you know, I, I do believe that it's hard to move forward if you're looking back. And so I'm not, in tune. That's why even the, the Levitar thing was news to me. I'm not following all everything about ESPN since I moved on, you know, uh, a year ago or so. But I would say generally, I mean, it just goes to show that that you know, COVID does not discriminate, um, and uh, it doesn't discriminate your 
age, race, gender, economic status, social status, industry standing. And I think everybody, you know, from my favorite restaurant in New Orleans to my former employer uh, has had to come to grips with this thing. And so from an economic standpoint, you know, they got to make tough decisions. And I feel for all the people whose careers uh, have been compromised as a result of this. Look, I, I'm just fortunate that I was able to leave on my own terms. But yeah. then again, that wouldn't be completely true. And now on a, from a broader sense, from a broader sense, not, not, not just economic layoffs, which are bottom line business, people that make that, those decisions, being counters make those decisions. Mm-hmm. From a broader sense, I don't know that I could speak in general intelligently on how they've managed or mismanaged, as the case may be, individual careers. I could speak to mine. Yeah. And so for me, uh, I do look back. I was there for 15 years. Yeah. I look back at my time there uh, in general. I look at it fondly because without it, let's be honest, as cool as you and I are, uh, you know, probably not as, you know, interested in talking to me without those 15 years. You let off. You said, hey, of ESPN fame, like it did a lot for me. The business, you know, Inflection Point Entertainment, the content studio, the company that I'm building, I'm able to build off the strength of the credibility that I got from that platform. I made a, let's, call, let's call it what it is. Can I cuss on this podcast? Yeah, hell yeah. I made a fuck ton of money working at ESPN. Yeah. You know? And so there's a lot of reasons why I'm grateful for the time that I had there. Did it end poorly? Yeah, but as a wise, as a wise person once said, everything ends badly, otherwise it wouldn't end. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for how it ended because I've said this to a couple of people, Courtney, and I hope that people, you talk about advice and, and mentorship or whatever, I hope that people take something from this, is I'm better now for having gone through that shit. Yeah. I'm, I'm stronger, I'm wiser, and I'm in a better place creatively than I could have ever gotten to at ESPN. I would have never been the entrepreneur that I am now. Yeah. If not for it ending the way it did, because I probably wouldn't have walked away willingly from ESPN. Why would, why would I have? I was making a bunch of money. I, I had a high profile. I was comfortable. It was familiar. Why would I leave the worldwide leader in sports? But because I was more or less forced to move on, it allowed me to evolve and grow in ways that I otherwise would not have. Amen, brother, from another mother. I couldn't agree more. The biggest thing I think for me is, I don't know, visualizing a world where, and I guess that's why they pay people in the tech and you know the social areas to do this, but visualizing a world where there's less talent and there's more games, more live games, but now there's more podcasts than you can ever imagine. Where do you, Michael Smith, the CEO, Michael Smith, the boss, Michael Smith, the, you know, entrepreneur minds, where do you see kind of the thoughts or where would you like your business to go just in terms of in, in, in the creative space? I, that's the biggest thing for me. And that's, I've said a number of different times, like, listen, don't call me a reporter. I'm a creative. I'm an entrepreneur. That's part of my tagline. And you know, I, I draw from um, my past and creating things on my own. The one man band in Providence, my first job. Yeah. I had to write, edit, produce all that shit. So, yeah. you know, this is kind of a throwback and it's really a test for people to say, what is your value to the market? How yeah. creative and how smart can you be? But yeah. what do you, where do you see the space going 
for creatives in general? I mean, you create yourself or others. It's a great question. It's a great conversation. And I, I love to have it with you because frankly, I'm still figuring it out because if you really want to kind of look at, at my path, um, you know, this time a year ago, I was a month removed from ESPN. Yeah. I, I, I decided that being in mothballs at ESPN, I was like, I couldn't just sit back and collect money. I had to move on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I joined a startup uh, and I joined a startup called Collaboratory uh, as its executive vice president and chief content officer, I felt like, oh, going back to that creative content creator, like that's that's the growth area for me, right? Yeah. It lasted for seven and a half weeks. Yeah. Um, through no fault of my own, it was just it, you know, I, I went into a situation and and I thought I went into it eyes wide open. It wasn't the situation I thought it was going to be, which led to something of a spinoff startup, if there, if such a thing exists, called uh, Game One, and I um, helped stand up that company yeah. and I was there from you know started working on that November of 2019 up until August of uh of this year yeah and again you know without boring you with a bunch of details that wasn't all it was cracked up to be and all I thought it was going to be so I had to move on from there I still have a relationship with game one but I moved on from that yeah. until I decided fuck it I'm gonna start my own thing you know yeah yeah. So to answer your specific question, though, I think it comes back to what you said, creator, and it comes back to a word I used earlier in reference to my man, Michael Holly, and I consider myself the same thing as a storyteller. It yeah. is a crowded landscape. It is a crowded media landscape. Find good stories and figure out how to tell them. Like just yeah. this week, I've had a handful of passes. I had a project fall apart. I had somebody pull some shady shit and and decide they were going to shop a project elsewhere. Um, Welcome to my world, man. When I was living in LA, dude, it's so brutal. You know what's really Courtney? The word yeah. is resilient. How not only how creative and how versatile, how resilient can you be as it relates to hey, I am going to. Um, figure out a way to tell the stories I want to tell in whatever form that takes. If that's a podcast, if that's a documentary, if it's a movie, if it's a scripted series, if it's a digital series, whatever it is, how can you tell the stories you want to tell and just start stacking wins and getting pelts on the wall. And next thing you know, you're a content creator. That's that's how I'm looking at it. And, you know, having smart people around you is the most important thing. Smart people around you and ones that you trust I feel like almost I will add to that analogy that you just that you just said, of, you know, the struggles of building a business and being an entrepreneur. I moved out to L.A. with a dream in hand, as we all did. Um, I had started I was working for Damon Dash. Um, I don't work for him anymore. That ended very quickly when I went out to L.A. I won't tell that story, but um you can kind of read between the lines. It just didn't match up creatively. My vision didn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't me working for him and his business, you know? So, um, but yeah, I, I had made um, a, a movie about type one diabetes in the NFL and it really just started as something as segments. And then I just said, fuck it one day. I want to go for the biggest story possible. So I called up John Robinson, GM of the Titans. I yeah. said, I want to do a movie shoot. I went down there and I mean, the video has gotten like over actually Adam Schefter saw the saw my my feature. It really was kind of a three and a half minute sizzler feature. I guess that's really just where it ended, even though I wanted to have it be a part of a greater series. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I had this amazing piece in hand that, you know, had some national fame and, and acknowledgement. And I went out to LA and I said, all right, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to shop around this movie. And I mean, the bullshit that I went through of meeting with people and having you pitch their thing. And, oh my God, you know, I have so much time for you and I have the person, perfect person. And then they bail and then they might listen to your project and they might start your own project. It's, it's really like, um, you know, something you got to keep, you know, within closed doors and having someone, you know, drive the content and just keep creating. It's like a machine, you know, something doesn't stick. It's just tough to get like, you know, so I got a project that's, you know, that went 0 for 6 in meetings, but I'm looking at it like, oh, but I got, I had meetings with high level buyers. I had a project with a player who I I thought we were going to do a documentary and then they decided to go in a different direction. Like I said, I had another project with somebody just that, that shopped an idea uh, elsewhere. That was like, wait, I thought we were doing that together. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's always something. I, I got these sticky notes on my walls. Like one day they up, one day they down. I got people that I was talking to on the daily that all of a sudden they ghost me. I, you know, I don't, I don't hear from them. I'm like, wait, I thought we were creating something together. Yeah. So, but that, but that said, I work for myself. And you yeah. touched on something with, with, with Dame a second ago, and I, I think this is what you were kind of getting at without getting into detail. It's like, it's waking up and doing what the fuck you want to do with who you want to be. Yeah. And, and even if those stories don't come to fruition in a short period of time or at all, I still feel better about what I'm doing now trying to tell the stories and produce the stories that I wanted to produce and with the partnerships that I have than I ever did Yeah. on somebody else's set at ESPN trying to fit into whatever box they wanted me to fit. Yeah. Yeah. It's really too, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll just touch on that before I move on to the next thing. Um, it's marching to the beat of your own drum and culture vulture bullshit and all that stuff is just like, it's clockwork orange. It's the same garbage over and over and over again and it's content and it's you know hey i want you to do this but him taking over you know and him being upset not giving me a voice and you know and having his hands in certain things that you know i'm afraid to to record something on your own cameras regardless it was kind of a nasty divorce that's you know it was a really great beautiful friendship and very close and confidant and all that stuff and and that's what all experience is good experience though right yeah no and and it it makes you realize a lot of things you know about um certain people and the history listen the history repeats itself i gotta say the way he bossed out of rockefeller records and you know and and you know and had those real nasty divorces with jay and now i understand you know because i've been through it (laughs) not as not as yeah. You've been through a lot. I didn't, I didn't know you. Uh, I didn't know what you were up to like that. You've been. Uh, no. Well, I mean, so that's the thing, and so I, I guess, um, you know, when you were talking about projects, yeah. what kind of, uh, you know, I know that you guys have been very outspoken and you know, just discussing kind of the topics of, you know, the spectrum of anything between movies, sports, music, yeah. uh, culture, and social justice. You know, speaking out on powerful subjects that are happening, like uncomfortable conversations that are having in, in our country right now. Breonna Taylor, yeah. um, brutality, all that stuff. Are you focusing more on the social justice topics? You don't have to obviously yeah. anything that you're working on, or are you really more focused on 
um, kind of the, like the E60 30 for 30 stories that are fascinating about just certain individuals? Yeah, no, that's a great question, too. Uh, no, I mean, the, my, part part more, I guess, I, you know, and also part two, what's what's been what's been uh, getting a lot more bait? So I guess I'll, I'll describe the company uh, that I'm building. And I think that'll best answer the question. So the name of the company is Inflection Point Entertainment. Yeah, and I guarantee you. Uh, we had the name for this company and this company has a deeper meaning than what has become something of a common catchphrase in today's society. Even hell, Joe Biden gave us an unintentional shout out the other night about the country being at an inflection point. Uh, It's got a deeper meaning for me and my co-founder, but we tell the stories of change within the journeys of of influential individuals, institutions, and industries. And all great stories happen around change points. So I'm saying that to say, whether the form of my story is a feature film or a podcast and everything in in between, scripted or unscripted, no, I'm not limited. If it's a story surrounding social justice, great. But it may be a story about mental health. It may be a documentary, um, you know, about uh, sexual assault. It may be a scripted series about amateur basketball and exploitation. Uh, There's a lot of different themes that we are covering, both within sports and outside of sports. It may be a documentary about some of my favorite musical acts that I want to do. It may be, uh, you know, so I I have a shit ton of ideas. I got a lot of stuff on the wall. I got a lot of ideas on my whiteboard. Some of them are in advanced stages of development. Some of them are in production. But Mm -hmm. I, I... Going back to that, that theme we talked about about versatility, I don't want to I don't want to be in one lane. I want to yeah. tell great stories, and I think most of those stories uh, start with that point in your journey, whether it's your personal journey or your professional journey, where shit changes. Yeah, one way or the other, shit hits the fan, and yeah. where is it going to go? And yeah. looking back, that's what defines our lives is those moments in our lives where it's like, Oh shit, what do I do now? You're at that inflection point. And I think that's where we are as a country. uh, And I think that's where great stories happen. I, I, it's just you hearing you talk about just the documentary style of telling stories that it's starting to inspire me again, because that's really what I set out two years ago when I started my own company. And it's the same, you know, it's, it's going after those stories and going after those projects that is just going to set you apart from any of the, you know, the podcast driven stuff might, might, might tickle the, uh, you know, the ideas and whatnot, but everything else from there, uh, more power to you. I love that. Um, I'm just, I'm listening to you. I'm just sending a quick, uh, a quick text. I was supposed to call somebody. Um, no, 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 that's all good. Um, I kind of want to run back to your time. When did you start covering the Patriots for the Globe? When you were 22? Uh, yep, 2001. Yep. Oh, wow. So yeah. what was that like back then? So those were the, that was the first year of Tom Brady. What can, you remember, what can you remember about that season? And uh, the year of 2000, because a lot of people, it's that's the year of 2000 was the forgotten year for Bill Belichick. So what can you remember about that season? 2001. Oh, 2001, I guess. That's the yeah, first I remember, I remember um, you know, when I, I the, the word that comes to mind is regret. Um, and I, by that, I mean, I just, I, rem, I wish I would have taken the time, 
look, hindsight's 2020, but I wish I would have taken the time to remember or, or, or recognize or realize, again, the moment that I was in. Because I remember week two after 9-11. Yeah. I remember the Jets game, and I remember Mo Lewis knocking Drew Bledsoe out, and I remember going to Mass General that night and running into Tom Brady coming out of the hospital. Now, at that time, Tom Brady would have never said yeah, he sheared an artery and he's probably done for a while and I'm going to be the quarterback. But nonetheless, I remember seeing Tom Brady and I was just running into him and, and you know, chasing the story. Uh, he couldn't talk to me again, but of course he couldn't talk to me. But nonetheless, looking back on him, like, shit, you know, history was changing right before our eyes. I remember being friendly, again, as friendly as anybody could be with a player who was under lock and key under the Belichick regime. But I remember being friendly with a fourth string quarterback from Michigan that nobody gave a fuck about because it was all about Drew Bledsoe and John Freeze and Michael Bishop. And, oh, yeah, there's the six round pick, Tom Brady. And we would we, chop it up because I was the, the kid fresh out of college just trying to get somebody to talk to me. And he was this guy that nobody was thinking about, but had a big time career at Michigan. Might have been bigger if not for Lloyd Carr and Drew Henson. I remember talking to his dad on the phone when he took over the job. Uh, I remember, um, this is what I don't remember, but Michael Holly makes me remember it. Super Bowl 36 in my hometown in New Orleans, he claims that that night after the game, we went out and ran into Don Shula, rest in peace, uh, and and then went out, uh, was at the Patriots Hotel, and we were hanging out with Bill Belichick. What? Or apparently... How do you know? Are you blackout? I don't understand how you can forget something like that. I think the reason why is much like young players when they get to the Super Bowl or the finals early in their career. Yeah. They think it's normal or they think it's, this is how it's supposed to go. And I think at 22 years old, before my 23rd birthday, six months after, not even six months, less than a year. No, actually, six months. I graduated from college in May of 2001. Yeah. February of 2002, whatever that is, the math, I'm not good at math. I was told yeah. that. I was back in New Orleans, current role. Yeah. yeah. I remember, you remember Kevin Paul DuPont? You know yeah, Kevin? of course. Yeah, a hockey guy for the Globe. He's the I remember bitching. I remember bitching to whoever would listen. Boy, there's so much of a spoiled brat I was. <laughs> I remember feeling some kind of way because at the time I was the backup Patriots writer. Nick Cafardo, rest in peace. Okay. Nick Cafardo was the beat guy. I was the backup guy. <laughs> and I remember being in New Orleans for Super Bowl week, or back then it might have been two. I don't fucking remember. It was a long time I was in New Orleans. But Super yeah. Bowl week at the time for the Bowl. did the Pro Bowl after the Super Bowl. Yeah, I was pissed because... Don Squar, my editor at the Globe, who I owe my career to, Don Squar had me covering the Rams. Like, what the fuck am I covering the Rams? I should be covering the fucking Patriots. And Kevin Paul DuPont was like, dude, skate your wing. Just skate your wing. Yeah. And that was the original for me, do your job. Yeah. I mean, like, he wasn't being a prick about it. It was just like professional advice. Like, just skate your wing, man. Yeah. And, um, I, pre I look back on that and I appreciate that. And so, you know, it was a good lesson to just, again, do your job and not worry about shit you can't control. 
But I remember being at Super Bowl 36 and I sat right next to Michael Holly when Vinatieri's field goal came to the uprights. We were like, holy shit, did they just do this shit? Yeah, right? I so, remember where I was. It's, it's something of a blur. Yeah. But it, what it did and why I'm always appreciative of, you know, the globe and the Patriots is it propelled me uh, into a higher profile because if I'm writing for the globe, covering that budding dynasty, who knew they would grow into a dynasty, ESPN and executives at ESPN, they're reading my work. Yeah. And they're putting, and they're like, oh, who is this guy? I'm on their radar. And and they're putting me on around the horn. Yeah. They're putting me on, uh, you know, they're, they're different shows at the time, you know, as a Patriot writer and a guy named John Walsh is like, Hey, why don't you just come work for us? So I'm, I have a cup of coffee at the globe for two, three years. And next thing you know, I'm covering the NFL for ESPN at 24, 25 years old. Yeah. And it's me at the time, this is before there was an army of reporters covering the league. Yeah. You want to talk about like, again, not knowing any better, like this shit ain't normal. It's like, I'm 25 years old at ESPN and it's, Chris Mortensen is John Clayton, it's Lynn Pascarelli, and it's me. Yeah. That's, that's the national NFL guys. Yeah. The other guys were more regional types, you know, yeah. that, that kind of like work for Sunday Countdown. But in terms of like people covering all 32, it was the four of us. Yeah. For that, Tom, it, was, it was me and Chris Mortensen. Yeah. And Clayton too. Clayton, yeah. So I, I owe the Patriots and that dynasty a lot because it jump-started my career, you know? Yeah. No, it, you're talking... For all that. I just kind of, you know, took it down. No, no. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, my jaw was on the floor the whole time. It reminds me you were just, like, bitching about certain assignments. Oh, man. Immature, Courtney. There are so many... I mean, listen, I'm a kosher salt. Not only to play on the fact I'm a Jewish, but, yeah, I'm an acquired taste. And I've been let go uh, of a lot of places. A lot of people don't like me. And I know, you know, that has a lot to do with why you're spicy. And, you know, people like us, we stick around. But, yeah, the immature moments, you're making me run down memory lane. Well, but, you know, I, I would venture to say, too, is like we're also at a, at a different point uh, in history. You yeah. Know, where... You know, you you've been you've been around for a little while, and and I'm sure you could attest to how things have changed in just the last decade for women in this industry. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's almost like you were ahead of your time. Like if you were a woman coming up now, it's different. Yeah. Back then, a lot of things have a lot of things are still the same. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's somewhat different in terms of how an opinionated a woman is received somewhat different. Again, yeah. I qualify. There's still some bullshit you got to deal with. And yeah. there's people who are stuck in the Stone Age, but you've seen the evolution. I've seen the evolution as a as a young black man. I'm not young anymore. Yeah. There are black people coming up that are able to say and do things and 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 be their whole selves. And 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 embrace their blackness in a way that is celebrated. Yeah. That when I was coming up, can't be too black. Yeah. Oh yeah. I know. Too black. Now it's like, how much blackness can we get? I mean, if we want to keep it all the way 100, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing a show called Brother from Another with Michael Holly because of George Floyd. Yeah. Wow. 
Why? Was that the, that was the the spark point? The George Floyd well, murder is that when you came together? The George Floyd murder changed the conversation in sports. Yeah, George Floyd, and then later Jacob Blake changed yeah. the conversation in sports yeah. because before George Floyd, there was still some semblance of stick to sports. Yeah, in this industry. Yeah, after George Floyd. The floodgates open for everybody to discuss the intersection of sports and politics because every athlete everywhere was like, fuck that. And they were on the front lines of this shit. And the yeah. country seemed to be awakened. Again, I stress, seemed to be awakened to the realities of, of systemic racism in this country in a way that for some strange reason, Eric Gardner um, and even Ahmaud Arbery, for some yeah. reason, were not. Yeah. So let's it, the truth of the matter is in in uh, in May of 2020 I was not thinking about doing television. Yeah. I was not thinking about doing a talk show and guess what? Nobody was thinking about me either. Yeah. I was an entrepreneur and I was chilling. I had a 15-year career at ESPN. I had commercials at ESPN. I had billboards at ESPN. A ton of money in the bank. Come on, just admit it. But nobody was checking for me. I left ESPN. It's almost like, you know, I don't, I've never been divorced, but but it's like, oh, a breakup. I've broken up. It's like, you break up and like, oh, shit, I'm on the market now. Everybody going to be throwing it at me now. Like, shit. Why nobody checking for Michael Smith? Let's just call it what it is. Was nobody looking for me? Yeah, for sure. When I left ESPN, yeah, like, damn, what the, what does that mean? Is that like, am I not that guy? Am I not, am I not the guy I thought I was? Yeah, or, or or worse, or worse, is every insecurity that I had actually true? That I would come to be defined by I the fall. Oh, you just gave me, you just gave me a pit in my stomach, man. But because you know what I'm talking about, right? yeah. you know like you know, we've all had that, and it wasn't until. George Floyd, where everybody was looking for people to have the conversation about the so-called intersection between sports and politics. And I say so-called because they've always, it's not been an intersection, they're intertwined, always have been. Yeah. And long story short, NBC, Peacock, streaming service. Hey, Michael Holly, you want to do a talk show? Who you want to do it with? Maybe one person I want to do it with, that's Michael Smith. Yeah. Here we are. That's fantastic. And you can catch that. Where can you catch that? Um, three, to five, three to five Eastern every day on okay. uh, Peacock. Peacock is a free streaming service from NBC Universal. Free. Free. Free in this day and age. I mean, that listen, they're just giving content away. Yeah, hopefully we don't get, you don't get what you pay for. Oh, I know. I know for sure. Sorry, that was my, uh, that was my uh, person that's looking. No worries. That. No worries. I, last thing, and you kind of alluded to, well, I mean, I guess is. One thing that I would discuss, but we can discuss off air, is you know how well the NBA um, really has driven home their narratives of you know did they get their message across across about Black Lives Matter. But we'll talk about that another time. The yeah. last thing I just want to uh, ask you before you go, and this has been so fantastic, um, the yeah. late Tommy Heinsohn. Tommy Heinsohn, the story of him passing yesterday, yeah. that hit my heart uh, real hard. He yeah. was in the rookie class with Bill Russell. His health has been deteriorating over the last few years. He was a all-star player, multiple championships, coach and broadcaster. Can you give me a Tommy story for a Tommy point? 
Just uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I wish I had a more personal Tommy story because again, I had a cup of coffee at the Globe, um, and most of my work at the Globe was the Patriots and the NFL, but there were some opportunities that I had to go to the garden and cover the Celtics. This is the, uh, the Jim O'Brien Celtics, the Antoine Walker. One point of eight. That was my. So Walter, I love Walter. I, I, I love Walter. Covering the team with Walter McCarty was. Uh, yeah. Oh, Got to check in with Walter on this one. I forgot about that. Yeah. So that was, uh, that, but I do recall how, how down to earth. Yeah. And, and what a, what a, what an institution and what a presence he was just in the Red Arbach press room always very approachable um you know just a regular guy going in to get his coffee and 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 holding court he held court pregame um you know in the press room and he was just a nice guy i think but the lesson for all of us is especially if 2020 didn't teach us anything we should teach it should teach us to say what you got to say why you why you got a chance to say it to, mm-hmm. to whoever needs to hear it. So whether it's somebody you've always admired, whether it's somebody you love, whether it's somebody you don't even know, take a couple of seconds and hit them up and be like, "Yo, thank you. I appreciate you. I love you. Uh, keep keep doing what you're doing, whatever that is." Because this this fucking year has robbed us of young people and old people, people that we didn't expect to lose. Yeah. Kobe, all the way through. Tommy Heinsohn and Sean Connery and, you know, you name it, you know what I mean? So it's been a really, it's been a yeah. trying time, but it, it should uh, make us appreciate the people we, we, we appreciate that much more. Yeah. Well, you know what, on that note, I, that's why I called you on here. Really someone who I greatly, greatly appreciate. You have done more for me. Little did you know, you know, for a young ambitious, I didn't know how the fuck I was going to get where I wanted to go, but you believed in me. You saw the hustle, you saw the passion, and you believed in me and springing tears to my eyes. But Michael Smith, oh, I, I appreciate that. That that blesses me. That means a lot to me. It makes me want to, I swear I'm not crying, but it really does. Like, yeah, I just I, No, I mean you uh you you I hope I'm saying this the right way, deserved it. Yeah. It's what, you know, it's you 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 had it and anybody with two eyes could see it. And I think it's what we're all here to do, which is to as best we can help the next person or 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 not even the next person. Sometimes it's pushing the people in front of you, giving them yeah. being wind at their back. You know what I mean? Um it's not just helping pulling up people behind you. And I think uh, you know, it's, it's let's let's be cheerleaders for one another. And I and I think, you know, you've always had a special talent, keep pushing. Um, and I, I think the world of you and I got a lot of respect and, and I think you, you know, you just made my day by telling me that because that type of thing, uh, that's what I hope defines me. Not, not some controversy, not some, not one, not one network, you know, not a, 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 a single partnership, not a story, not a mistake, not something that I fucked up on on air that I still lose sleep about that I still have flashbacks about because I can't believe I did some stupid shit on air. No, I mean, what I hope defines me is, you know, I think it was Maya Angelou. Not what you said, not what you did, but how you made people feel. Yeah. I hope I made people feel good. And I hope I've helped some people as as best I could. Thank you so much for your time. We'll catch you another time. Hey, good to talk to you. Do not be a stranger. I just got to say at the end of that interview, 
John, I, I really started to tear up. You know, I, I feel like it's just, I've come to a point in my life where, um, I just have really showed a lot of gratitude for the people that have helped me out. And like, uh, just seeing how far I've come. I mean, I'm, I'm about a decade into my career. I've got decades more ahead of me and you know, everyone's career takes twists and turns and changes in so many different ways. And you got to find an ability to, to create adaptability. Um, you know, this world of journalism is constantly, constantly changing. So, you know, kudos to Michael Smith. I, I really enjoyed that interview and it was pretty evergreen. It's perfect to, uh, to drop on you on Thanksgiving week. So I hope you enjoyed it. John, do you have any last words? Yeah, no, you're lucky. You have like people like that as your inspiration. I have people named Kirk's desk who inspire me every day. <laughs> I, you know, I, I do. Um, and I just, I don't know. I, I hope that people enjoy the, the conversations that I have with people. Cause I'm just super grateful for all the people that I've, you know, run into in my career and my Rolodex is pretty long with these people. And I'm hoping to, you know, eventually get to all of them and the many episodes of this podcast that lay ahead. Uh, hopefully uh, in the next couple weeks or so, we got kind of a decent business development that's going to happen. That's kind of going to bring all of this stuff to life, the new videos and new graphics and all this fun shit that we have lined up for this podcast. So, you know, thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for sticking with us. And um, I promise you there's so much more to come. It's going to be here. big. We're still here. Well, I mean, that's the thing. I'm still going to be here even if, you know, half of the people who are fake listening to this show. <laughs> now, again, thanks for downloading. I really don't care. So, that's it. That's it. Um, I'm yeah. Surprised. So, yeah, the, the best is yet to come. I promise you that. Stay healthy. Stay safe, people. We'll see you on Tuesday. Love ya. I could not foresee this thing happening to you.